Our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars. Didn't have to work. And then invariably, whatever you'd say, that was supposed to be your career. So if you wanted to fix old cars, then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic. So what did you say? I never had an answer. I guess that's why I'm working at Inatech. No, you're working at Inatech because that question is bull to begin with. If everyone listened to her, there'd be no janitors because no one would clean up if they had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? I'll tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Well, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke, don't do If I had a million dollars... Well, I'm a big Snacks and Jacks. I'm Tim Allman. We're on the board. SP Futures down 10. NASDAQ Futures down 40. This is after a big update yesterday. Just how big was it? The S&Ps were up 45 and NASDAQ up 160. So we're giving back a little bit of that today, but not, not much, uh, at least so far. Um, do we have Brendan? Brendan, are you with us? I guess we don't. Yep, I'm here, Chief. There you are. How are you, bud? Good start to the day. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, it is a, you know, it's going to be nice weather today for a change. You know, it's going to be nice, Derek. Well, you know, it's, it's uh, middle of October, so we can't complain with the weather. It's cooling down a little bit. Um, so climate change hasn't affected the fall season yet to the point where it's 90 degrees. So I think it's a pretty good day. Every time it rains, it's climate change. It never rained before. Just remember. Well, that's not the case. No. You, know, you know that. You're, you're uh, subject to hyperbole again. Well, you know, that's the way some people think it. If you get a big rainstorm, it's like it never rained before. You know, it's, it's a, the rainstorm is because of global warming. Mm-hmm. Just saying, you know, you could take that. And if only the guy next door would not use that gas lawnmower, we'd be okay. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. You know, it's, uh, hey, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit this morning. we got all these this international stuff uh, going on, and I've been, we've been trying to keep up with it. Uh, we had uh, Mike Murphy on yesterday talking again about who all the different players are, and who's Shia, who's Sunni, you know, who's involved where in the Middle East. And I've been trying to dig through some of the... Uh, economic stuff and uh it's kind of a, a morass to say the least now we've got the stuff that's going on in, in congress um you know in this country nobody seems to you know just just yet another fight between right and left and middle and god knows what else but what does it say in time of crisis worldwide i mean the per- perception you get from other people unless you ask them it's uh it's sort of like doing a, a podcast right mr weber knows this it's not what you say, it's what people hear, right? That's right. It, it's or not what you think you say, for sure. And I, and I, I just wonder, at a time of crisis where the Congress essentially puts himself out of business, what, what message does that tell people about us? And we're supposed to be the shining light here. And we ain't shining so, so bright, And if you ask me. I agree with you. I mean, I, I think this tells the, the rest of the country that we don't give a darn about you. All we care about is our own individual narcissistic power. And... Yeah, that that's true. I think on on both sides of the aisle. But right now, given the uh, the morass in the House of Representatives, it's shining brightly on the Republicans. That we don't care about the rest of the world. We care about our own power and minority rule. Well, how do you how do you have one guy running and he can't win? 
<laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, there there is uh, a possibility that it is a way out, and um, until the Newt Gingrich Denny Hassard area, it it was something that that could have been done, and that's bipartisanship by reaching a consensus candidate in the, in the middle who could get enough votes. But you know, that's what got McCarthy ousted because in order to have the continuing resolution passed to November, he got Democratic support. And uh, he reached across the aisle because he knew that the, there was a minority of his own party that would block it because of how close the the majority of the Republican Party is in the Congress. So it's very interesting that um, you, know, you, you can't talk to the other side or you can't reach a consensus candidate. So we, the minority of the minority, uh, uh, have to dictate everything. Well, I know Kevin was uh, has been somewhat adamant, and you know he watches this more than I do. That neither side felt they could trust McCarthy very much. You know, you well, know, that's I, true. I I believe that McCarthy McCarthy's word wasn't worth a, a bag of warm spit if he was the vice president. <laughs> well, what you know? I, how do you how do you develop consensus in in and, and not end up bending all over the place. I mean, how do you do both? And then, you know, have your word be worth nothing. I mean, it, it's, it's pretty well, hard to do. All, all you have to do is look back a couple of years when in the last Congress, the Democrats had a very similar majority, only four or five votes, and yet Nancy Pelosi was able to pull it together and keep her caucus together. And um, people, for the most part, trusted what she said on a deal. If she agreed to something, she wouldn't go back on what she said. And I think that um, it can be done. I think my impression of what happened with McCarthy, though, is he was so determined and envious to get the speakership that he would say anything to anybody. And, you know, he, he would promise you one thing, promise Maddie another thing, promise me a third thing. All of which contradict each other. So he could; it would be impossible for him to keep his word with all three of us because he said things contrary to all three of us. Right. So, and, so the, well, the Democrats come across the aisle and they pass the the, the bill a few weeks ago. They mm -hmm. got everybody all pissed off. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they knew that well, was going to. They didn't get everybody pissed off. What they got pissed off was the Matt Gates contingent, the Matt Gates and the seven others who voted for him. And it's a little bit wider than that. There were some other Republicans that were, that were upset with that. But yes, it was because McCarthy reached a compromise bill with the Democrats to get Democratic votes to, to pass continuing resolution over the objections of the minority of the Republican caucus that didn't want a deal in place. Okay, but am I, where, I'm, where I'm going with this, and it's probably another dead end that I go on, but uh, if, if Democrats hopefully are not as dumb as some of these people look, uh, they knew the minute that happened that McCarthy was in trouble. Mm-hmm. Right, so the, somewhere in the back of somebody's mind had to be, well, if we don't want this thing to totally blow up on the other guy's side, we're going to have to follow this up with 10 of us voting for the guy for speaker. Even if they don't want, it. I mean, the the chaos right now. The, the Democrats should have seen it coming. And, my, and I'm, you know, what I'm saying. I mean, it, you you obviously had did see it coming. I mean, how did they not? I mean, you know what I'm saying is they could have voted for yeah. him for speaker. Well, it, okay, so I'm not sure what your question is. Well, I'm saying did that they, they, did they the, have not agreed to it, or no? I think, if, but I'm saying once they did agree with it, 
they should have known that if the guy's going to stay there more than two weeks, we're also going to have to lend him some folks to stay in his spot. Well, again, they don't have to do that because they could... Uh, oh, but no, but they, now they've got... There, still, there, there were still two options. The first option was that the Republicans rally around Kevin McCarthy and he's able to pull it together and keep his his majority of the Republican Party to get the votes. The second thing would be to reach um, a, a compromise candidate with Republicans if the Democrats wanted to. But, um, you know, at some point, you know, I, it, it, this is almost like playoffs. You, you know, do you save your best pitcher for the next game if you're facing an elimination game? Or do you throw your best pitcher to win today's game in hopes of you getting there to tomorrow? Uh, you can't always make your vote depending on what's going to happen next week. Sometimes you've got to make the make the choice, like with the continuing resolution, for what is the best thing we can do now. Because the option would have been to shut down the government. Well, but I mean, it's, but there's so. <clears throat> where am I wrong here? They're they're so short sighted. The damn thing's forty five days, mm-hmm. right? So you vote it in such a way where you know the guy who just put together the deal is going to get thrown out. He gets thrown out. Now where are you? You're 20 days from having to hold through the whole thing again without the guy who put it together last time there. Mm-hmm. And, and my point, I guess, from the start is, if we're sitting in Germany or France or Britain or Lebanon or wherever the hell we are, the Democrats are so stupid, they, they think that these people, these people, somebody sitting in Lebanon or Sweden or wherever the hell they are, is going to say, oh, the U.S. has a congressional problem, but it's only the Republicans and Democrats are fine. It's not the way people think. I don't think. I know. They, they think that the United States is non-functional right now. Yeah, and not, they are right. Yeah, they're not saying the Democrats are functional, by the way, but the Republicans aren't. Nobody's doing that. No. I'm not even sure I'm doing they're, that. They're looking, no, I agree with you completely. They're looking at the United States government saying, these guys are idiots. They don't know how to govern, They they're, and they're not trustworthy because even if somebody like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Hakeem Jeffries or a Matt Gates or a Jim Jordan said something, we don't know that it could be trusted because it has to go to the Senate. But they, you're right. They don't get into the weeds. The rest of the country is not getting into the weeds. All they know is that the United States is in disarray politically. And we can do whatever we want because we have a head start to do whatever damage we want before the United States can react. Well, and, and you know, the strange part of this is, is you, I'm sure, know that I am not a, uh, a big proponent of the, of the far right. However, the eight or ten people that are there that are saying we came here to do something about the spending and the deficit, and damn it, we're going to do it, they're not wrong, Brennan. The other people seem to think they can just go on. Everybody thinks that <clears throat> the Republicans aren't in it with the, the Democrats and just spend, spend, spend. This 35% a year deficit, it can't, it can't go on. <clears throat> and yet all these other people seem to think it can. These guys are not wrong in that, in that statement. Well, I, I think that, that it's much more nuance or much more broader in interpretation than just the spending. You're right on the, the spending issue. That's a serious issue that should be discussed with both sides and bipartisanship. And unfortunately, I think if there's going to be any serious movement on the deficit reduction and future spending, that it's going to have to include things like the defense and uh, social programs like Social Security and Medicare. But nobody seems willing to do that yet. Even those eight members don't really want to do that yet on, on that level. But the the part of what they're trying to do is much more broader than that. They're not just saying that we're doing this solely because of, of the spending budget. 
they have a lot of other social problems too that that they're trying to cure with this and taking a hard line and it also goes back to the idea that um, we as a Republican Party or whoever the Repub whoever the majority party is whether it's Democrat or majority or Republicans but particularly because of the internal rules of the Republican Party, that we're not going to bring anything to the floor until we can pass it on our own without one Democratic vote. And when you get a narrow majority, like four, like, well, it's nine votes, but that effectively means five votes um, with the split in votes, that a very small portion can derail anything. And uh, and that's what they've done here. Well, the other way you ever got, you ever got the rule would... Four hundred thirty-five people. You can only you can only use your side. That's insanity. That came about in in the late nineties, early two thousands, right after Newt Gingrich took over as Speaker of the House in nineteen ninety-five, and he and and it was known as the Hastert Rule. When Denny Hastert succeeded Newt Gingrich, he said, and the Republicans abide by this, that we will not we the Speaker of the House and the Republican Party will not bring anything to the floor for a vote or introduce any legislation unless the Republican Party can pass this on its own without one Democratic vote. So even if you were to get uh, 50% of the Republicans and 80% of Democrats, uh, or even if you were to get 95% of Republicans and 5% Democrats to get over the threshold, they would not bring the bill to a vote on the House floor. Now, what would the implication of that are like a couple of weeks ago when McCarthy put the, the continuing resolution in place, he reached across the aisle and got Democratic votes. That violated that internal Republican Party rule, but it also pissed off people like the Gateses and gave them an opportunity because of the, the rule change that McCarthy had that any one member can call for a vote to vacate. Well, I think when you look at the the other side doing it as well, what I believe Obamacare passed with only Democratic votes, correct? Right. Well, to me, that's absolutely horse bleep government. The idea is you want whatever program you put through, you want both sides committed to it, not just one. I agree. That's that's the way government should work. It should not be us versus them all the time. And the, there's also a difference, though, because in, in in your example, because I do believe that there are some pieces of legislation that would have gotten opposition votes except for the idea that we're not going to help out the other side. One example is the infrastructure bill that was passed earlier and um, in the last Congress, which was passed with exclusively Democratic votes in both the House and the Senate. And all the Republicans voted against it. And yet, when the Republicans were going for re-election or election in November, they touted the benefits of infrastructure in their districts and say, look what a great job I did. This road, this bridge that is being built is because of the infrastructure bill that I, uh, I, I did. And yet the Republicans voted against that. So, you, you know, there are some bills that should have uh, bipartisan approval, but don't because of the polarization in... Yeah, but you, in you and I, Washington. I think, though... And so does I assume our, our, our friend Mr. Weber that uh, just because you don't vote for a bill doesn't mean you get don't get your bridge built. True, but the, but it's also another element of hypocrisy that if you voted against it and spoke out against it, why are you taking credit for it just so that you can get reelected? Um, as uh, as I asked the, the former Richie Daly, Jr., not the first one. I said, how do you know if you're doing a good job 
first year you're in Congress. This is when we're both on the bike at the club, and he goes, you got to bring home a million dollars to your district for some project. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter whether you voted for it or not, you just got to bring it home. Mm-hmm. Just saying. I mean, it's 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 the, when they when they when when the Republicans bitch about the infrastructure bill, it's my first comeback. When my my Republican friends, I say, guys, it's not like you guys didn't get any any piece of this bill. It's not like every single dime is going to a Democratic district. That's Come right. Out, you know. You got you're into it the eyeballs. If you got a powerful guy in the committee, he's probably getting more than a Democratic guy. Yeah. So yep. I mean, it's not it's not like any are any of these guys not a hypocrite. Uh, it's hard to find one that is not a hypocrite. I I can't think of anybody offhand who who, who is not hypocritical in their approach. You know, I uh, wanted to ask you because uh, the, these issues keep getting, and I I know I I, I uh, constantly. Harp on even my, my brother's sort of pissed at me about the. Uh, I, I think the people in government are camp constantly um, lying to people. You know, and I, and I know it's it's lying to people on the uh, consumer prices and what they're doing with the dollar and all kinds of stuff. And I don't know why people in this country don't get outraged about it, but it comes. It's coming back at us pretty much everywhere. I mean, the the, the consumer price index in the last. Four years since COVID uh, is up nineteen something percent. I think inflation's up forty. I mean, I think I could prove that in just about every everywhere. Um, so you've got Social Security up nineteen percent in those four years, and you've got those people on Social Security chasing twenty percent, which is horse bleep, if you ask me. Um, and now you have the people in the auto auto workers strike are looking like. The, uh, the you know the, the I guess they're being offered twenty percent raise right. Well, that some, was the least, last number yeah. that I heard. Yeah, about twenty. Right, so the, no, the, they're looking for forty. They're the ones that are right. The car, I agree. The cars are up forty percent, not twenty. Mm-hmm. I mean, so every, when you lie to people and people throw these numbers around, it it, it, it has its serious repercussions all along the way. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, what we've done with our dollar in an attempt in my opinion, to pay people back less than what the government got borrowed. Um, God, what if, what if somebody bought a, a 10-year bill or a five-year bill f- five years ago uh-huh. with, with like 1.5% and now the guy's getting the stuff back with four, it's worth 40% less? You just yeah. ho- hose the living bleep out of your, out of your own population. But my, That's right. But my question is when you – I've been reading some of the stuff around the Middle East. Does anybody even give a, give a crap of, of – I'm not saying this is all our fault. Um, you know, I'm not one of those guys. That everything in the world that happens is our fault. But the the Lebanese currency is down 90 percent in value in the last four years. There's the unemployment rate in in, in uh, Gaza has been 25 percent. Their currency is worse. Squat. I mean, any anybody anywhere in Turkey, Turkey the same way. Theirs is going up. When you when you when you can't have faith in the reserve currency, we we can't do that, Brandon. Because look, it's, at least some of that is. All those people, their stuff following the same thing that ours and the euro and the Japanese yen and the, and the pound did. The, the entire the entire free world essentially debased their currency in uh-huh. the last four years. But look what it's doing to all these other places. I mean, it, it, this is surely, I don't think the Lebanese currency would have been down 90% if ours wasn't down 40. Uh-huh. You know, it might have been down 60 or something, but... But I mean, this is to think that we don't have repercussions when we pull these little these little stunts. 
I mean, look what happened when the Romans started doing it. <laughs> it ended up the whole world caved in, right? Mm-hmm. I, why, yeah. why are we doing the same thing? I don't have an answer for you, but I, it, again, shows the interconnectivity of the entire world. It's not, and that that's another reason why the United States cannot be totally isolationist right now in their approach to what happens in the rest of the world, whether it's Israel, Gaza, or whether it's Ukraine, or whether it's you know other parts of the Middle East or Taiwan or something. There's there, this interconnectivity is so intertwined right now that we can't stand alone, especially as you said, when it's the fallback currency, the reserve currency for the entire world. Well, we're doing it to our own people, <laughs> and our people don't see. We're like, thank you, sir. May I have another? I don't get it. I agree, I, I, and I think it's it's uh, short term vision for the ability to stay in power because some choices will be very difficult for the United States to make and it could cost the jobs of some people who are currently in office and running for office but it would be the right thing to do to make monetary policy changes to uh, to, correct, to correct the problem even something like um, reducing spending but going after things like Social Security, Medicare and, and the defense budget um, and you know so there are lines that are, are unwilling to be crossed for political reasons that are sound economic decisions that need to be made. Well, this, uh, you know, I've heard some people talk, and this, it sounds awful, but that the, the people are, are, are essentially creating, not just here but other places, this, this permanent underclass, which is essentially a voting group for a party. I don't know if I go all that far because I don't know if the guys are smart enough to think that way, but I don't, this... There was a lady, uh, Greg had it on yesterday, I don't know where he dragged it on one of the news shows or some Twitter thing or something. Um, uh, Mayor Johnson, I'm not a huge fan of, somewhere down on the south side, and of course this African-American lady gets the microphone and is screaming. Is, is there something about the, the louder you talk, does that mean you're you're supposed to be smarter? Or what, I don't know what the story is with that, but she's screaming at him about if he gives like, basically any dime to these immigrants that should be meant for her, basically. <laughs> Um, that that we and of course she's talking about black people put him in office and they could just as easily take him out next time and put somebody else in there. I mean, mm-hmm. the the power play, the idea that we put you in there, all the money in the city has to come to us. What, for God's sake, Brenda? What what what, what are we doing? With this? What, what kind of what, what are we creating here? I don't. I, mean, I, I felt like saying. I feel like I wanted to ask you when was the last time you had a job, but I, I didn't. I mean, she knows she might have a job, but but I just something something's really something's stinking all over the place, and I don't know how to, how to I don't know how you reverse it. Well, I agree, but you know it's true on on all levels that uh, the people who the demographic group that puts somebody in office, and you know it doesn't matter if it's a CEO class who gets people elected or. Uh, you know, a certain demographic, whether it's black or Latino or, or something else, feels that more should come to them because we put the people in power. And, uh, and, and that is, your point is very cogent that what's happening now with the migrant crisis in cities like New York and Chicago and other cities is showing this, this resistance because of the, the people who are there, the homeless people, the, the underdeveloped people, uh, economically underdeveloped and underserved people, populations that are now in conflict with the migrants. And if the migrants are being given 
food, shelter, clothing, money that has not been able to be found to take care of the homeless or the underserved population of the city, that's going to cause resentment. You know, how, how can you all of a sudden find millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars to take care of migrants? And unfortunately, this goes to a xenophobic mindfold. It's us versus them. How can you take care of them when we, us, who put you in power, are here and you've been ignoring us except when it comes time for Election Day? Listen, people, well, that's what happens all the time. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, the CEOs do a way better job than the minorities. I mean, I... <laughs> yes, my, my point there was that, uh, you know, there, the, the, that there are different classes because you haven't touched upon the other thing, and that's the disparity of wealth in the country between, uh, you know, the the different demographics and, and how the earning power has happened over the last 10 years. When you, when you look, for example, at the upper 5%, 1% of the class versus the common workers like and manufacturing. You know, look at look at the CEO increase in pay for the big three automakers compared to the line workers, which is one of the other reasons why they're looking for a forty percent raise oh, yeah. instead of a twenty percent raise. What uh when and I'm not hopefully I'm not Mr. Law and Order, but when are we gonna get serious with the the CEOs? When when is when is someday somebody gonna be president that that says to the head of Microsoft I'm more powerful than you are, and I'm going to show you why. I mean, well, last... that's not going to happen. Well, okay, but I'm saying it it, it it better. Because last week, the dude comes out, they, the IRS, who knows if they're right or wrong, but they're probably not even close to what the number really is, says that Microsoft owes another $29 billion in taxes for uh, some of the years they were over in Europe, you know, before the Trump thing or something. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they said, well, we're going to fight it we can, we can, the head of Microsoft, it was either him or the CFO, basically we, we can put this through the courts for 10 years, don't mess with us. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's where someplace, somewhere, I don't know if it's because I'm a son of a Southside cop, I don't know, somewhere I go, okay, it's going to be 10 years, but we're taking names. And if it turns out you guys essentially did this knowingly, this, this is going to become a criminal offense. And by the way, your, your ass is going to be in jail. When, when are we going to up the ante on these people? Ever? Well, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because that's a very similar correlation to a certain political party and leaders of a political party who are now facing the same thing and stretching it out for years and years and years without even an admission that there could be something wrong. And not only with the president, but even with people like uh, Menendez in New Jersey and yeah. uh, George Santos, to name two, that are probably a little less controversial than Donald Trump. But two other examples of things where you've got representatives uh, in in Congress, a senator and a, and, a, and a representative, who at least have the taint of really bad actions and are still allowed to maintain their seats. That you know the rights that you have as a senator or a, uh, a congressman should not be the same as the individual with due process rights in in cases where you're interfacing with the public. Well, I mean, I, I, some someplace somewhere. If we're going to do any antitrust and stuff, well, I guess we'll, we'll talk about it next week, or unless we have you back this week, maybe. But this idea that these antitrust things are become a civil suit by the Federal Trade Commission and not a criminal offense. Who decided that? It says right in the law it's a criminal offense. Mm-hmm. But I don't, when's, when's the last time somebody's going to, go, going to go to jail for this? It would be nice if, if some of these things did have repercussions that involve some jail time, some real jail time for 
uh, the perpetrators. But not from not from Eddie Weber. He's got a baby coming this week. He can't go to jail. Well, even even if that wasn't the case, why should Manny go to jail? Well, Thank think, you. We can think of something. Well, the way the way something he's made some decisions. But it's Manny. He's yeah. made some decisions as a general manager of the softball team. People think is incarcerable. But it's or Maddie. Or first place. Yeah, down in first place, huh? Well, see, you're in first place, so that gives you immunity. Okay, thank you. As long as, you're, as long as you're winning, you're immune. Isn't that the truth? It's the greater good. <laughs> Even if the Maddie's, Bears... Oh, Maddie's God. there for the greater good because they're winning. Yes. S&P Future's down 1150. You can't do wrong th- if he's doing it. You know, we, that's, that, that's got to be the title of the show. You can't do wrong if you're winning. Nasdaq <laughs> Future's down 50. Be right back. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630 401 8810 or search us on the web at cognoshr.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Lone Wolf Base Action Giants on tomorrow night. We're on the board. SP Futures down 10. ASA Futures down 45. We got some earnings. We got Johnson Johnson's up uh, 250. They had earnings. We have uh, Goldman Sachs, even though they claim they did better on uh, uh, stronger than expected bond trading, they're down 274 to 311. We have Bank America that said they had better than the expected interest income. Uh, they're up 24 cents to 27.23. Better than expected income, interest income with the. Uh, Interest rates on credit cards up like 6% in the last two years. I guess that'll help. Uh, anyway, so the Dow futures down 72. We had a big big update yesterday, just a review of that. Uh, the Dow was up 314, S&P up 45, NASDAQ up 160. So we're only giving back maybe a, a, um, a third of that at most. Uh, over in Europe, we've got uh, net so far. X down 72.5%, FTSE up 2432 
Yeah, Grand down 21.30. Uh, They're slightly lower, but footsie's an outlier there. Over in Asia, and EK, oh, these guys got hammered yesterday, but now they bounced back up again. They're up 3, 381. It's up 1%, 1.2%. And saying up 132.7%, trying to get back to 18,000 at 17,773. Shanghai up 9.3%, so positive over there. Uh, bonds up 6 basis points, 4.77. The blend up 5 basis points, 2.84. Japan up four basis points, almost 0 .80. That's a big move for those guys. Uh, yesterday was unusual in the sense the market was really strong, with interest rates going up. You don't normally see that, but yesterday was one of those kind of outlier days. Oil up 24 cents, 86.80. Brent up 37 cents, 90.02. Natural gas unchanged at 310. Our Bob up a penny, 228. The gold, which has been on a tear lately, uh, a dollar ninety today, so that's not much of a terror. Nineteen thirty-six silver up eight cents, twenty-two eighty-four. Copper down three cents, three fifty-five. Uh, so it's holding above nineteen hundred on gold. It was sunk below there, pretty good. Crypto, which has been on a move, is, only, is down twenty bucks today, but still twenty-eight thousand five hundred. It's up a lot this week. Uh, the U.S. dollar kind of mixed. It's up a little bit against the. Uh, uh, it's down a little bit against zero. The euro is at one hundred five seven, but it's up pretty strong against the pound, uh, 0.2 percent. At 37 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. We're off to a pretty good start here on a Tuesday morning. Uh, no accidents on any of the area expressways. Uh, we do have some slow moving spots that we'll get to in a second. Only crash in the area is uh, on the north side, Harlem Avenue at West Chewy Avenue. Uh, the far northwest side there. Uh, but as far as uh, delays, uh, we're seeing uh, some slowdown, certainly on the Kennedy. O'Hare into downtown, you're at 53 minutes and climbing due to the road construction. Outbound side is still clear. Inbound Eden's uh, Deerfield Road into downtown, 57 minutes. Um, and those are our two slowest moving expressways. Everything else looking good out there. Weather today will warm up a little bit, and we may actually see some sunshine for the first time in about a week. Right now, it is uh, clear and 45, going up to a partly cloudy high of 60 today. For our Phoenix listeners, sunshine with a high of 101. Right now, it's clear and 75. In sports, Blackhawks with a real nice win last night at Toronto. 4-1 to was the final in that one as the Hawks added an empty netter late. Uh, but uh, a nice road win at Toronto, even up their early season record at 2-2. Two two. Coyotes lost to the Rangers 2-1. to one. MLB playoffs, it was the Rangers taking a commanding 2-0 series lead by winning both games on the road in Houston after they topped the Astros 5-4. to four. Phillies and Diamondbacks got underway, and it was Philadelphia taking game one 5-3 uh, to lead that, game's, uh, that series one game to zero. And lastly, Monday Night Football, a good one last night. It was the Cowboys hanging on to beat the Chargers 20-17. to Did you think, hey, Joel, how are you? Uh, good morning, Chief. How you doing? I'm doing all right. I, did you guys uh, see that play where uh, who's the little, the little second baseman in Houston? I, I thought he touched that base coming back. He was kind of standing on it. it that reverse call the other night. Did you guys agree with that, or did you see? It? I did not see that one. He kind of he went. He was he was standing on the base, then he kind of stood next to it, and then came back. I, I guess they ruled that the stepping off it was sort of toward third, and I don't know. It looked to me like he just had kind of one foot on it and went back to first. I don't know, I guess so. It was a right. caught ball that he had to retag the base, yeah. and they said he didn't do it. They said he didn't do it, but I, it didn't look to me like he ever advanced past it. He was kind of standing on it. Yeah, it was yeah, sort I didn't of weird. see that. Joel, so what's up? What's up in the world, buddy? Uh, Markets uh, looked like uh, crap the other day, and all of a sudden yesterday looked like uh, going crazy to the upside with bonds going down, which is somewhat unusual. It was kind of yeah, bad day. Yeah, I, uh, I I heard your comment here uh, uh, before I came on, and uh, boy, oh boy, uh, 
kind of got beat up yesterday looking at uh you know looking at the bond market here thinking the equities couldn't rally uh and they did yeah and uh you just you know that that's you know uh that's an anomaly it doesn't happen that much bonds are down again today and uh the, mar- the market's down so it's following suit a little bit i mean you look at the 30-year bond or the tlt and i mean it's just like one of the worst looking charts you've ever seen so it doesn't doesn't look like you know there's any turn in that any turn soon now the equities have still been hanging in there not trading off you know too far off the recent high so it's a mixed bag here the the you know uh the uh um global economic you know the geopolitical situation couldn't be worse and the market rallied off that chief so not not many times i'm kind of stumped by the market but i would uh I would call it. I would call this one of those times. Well, do you do you think we're? It, it's the same. Uh, very well. Seems seems similar. I'll, I'll rephrase. When uh, I don't know if you listen on Monday when Audrey or Nancy are on and they're talking about the real estate and mortgage markets. It just seems like they, they they're hanging in there, and you see uh, the individual people. I mean, I I get I don't get to see them. I don't look at any of their stuff, but but just by hearing phone conversations and stuff, it seems like there's. There's there's, sell, there's buying and selling in the, in the real estate market among people who have, have sold their home and are trading up, and somebody somebody in the mess is always kind of a cash buyer. So they're they're sort of hanging in there mm-hmm. um, at these prices. Uh, they haven't really gone down very much, and maybe not at all in some areas. Some areas they have, but and you get this feeling that it's it's just I get this nagging feeling that it's like 1981 over again, where. You know the market's going to go up one of these days, and it just does, and it does, and it does, and all of a sudden one day it does. I, I I don't see how. I mean, if you gave, you know, an economic student his first week and said your mortgage rates double, what happens to house prices? He would not say they stay the same. And yet they have. Now, I, I, is it just some lack of supply? People can't move. Same thing with the market. I mean, why? How do in, have interest rates gone from from one to five, and the market really not gone down at all? It's just some. It's you get the feeling that either we're going to somehow work our way through this okay and catch up and salaries and everything else, and by the skin of our teeth we're going to make it through without some kind of a problem, or just one of these days we're going to say, how come it happened today and not six months ago? I wish I could figure out which it is, Joel. Can you help me? Yeah, I mean, you're going from uh, from one uh, one uh, difficult topic to another. I mean, with, that, with the housing market, I mean, you know, people just don't want to give up their, their low interest rate. Right, yeah. and the people that that can afford to move are, you know, are moving. Um, old builders, you know, are starting. To, I mean, they they were uh, performing wonderfully earlier. They've had a a, a pullback. Uh, you know, I just think all this is like the the backdrop of uh, you know of earnings season here, and you know, I think it I think it's going to be overshadowed by the geopolitical situation. Uh, you know, J.P. Morgan had a nice beat and. And, you know, it had a rally, and it's giving it back. I mean, you're seeing all these beats. Bank America beat. It's up a little bit. It will probably give it back. I mean, Delta had a beat. I think uh, has a pop and makes a new low of the move. So, uh, to me, the tenor of the market has changed. And I at, the, at this current level, I see patient sellers, and I see kind of like, reluctant buyers and 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 when you have that kind of market 
then you know it, it's hard to get uh, you know overly bullish, right? When you have that kind of situation. So, how did the Q3 earnings see? I just think there's so many other things that it, that are going on that, like, I don't want to say earnings don't matter, but when you have the, a geopolitical situation that we have going on, something that our uh, you know we haven't experienced since 1973. I don't know. I'm just. Uh, I guess I'm just Debbie Downer today, Chief. I just can't. I can't get enthusiastic about this market because of the bond market, because it's just reaction to the. You know, so far the reaction to earnings beats. Um, you know. Meanwhile, you know the market's proving me wrong. I mean, we are hanging up. You know, not too far from the highs of the year. I mean, a couple yeah. hundred handles, whatever you want to make it. So. Uh, stock pickers market, I guess, Chief. That's probably if you ever want to. Well, how long, how long do you think tool? the magnificent seven can hold this? They get every everything they want from government. They get to take over everybody. I mean, they're they're, they're above the law. Are they are they going to be able to hang with us or no? They're gonna, the, the seven going to be our future? It sure is, Chief. And you know, there's one there's one primary reason for that, and that <laughs> they have no debt. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that the market is flack, flocking to companies that make money. I mean, Apple has some debt they could do; they could pay that off, uh, you know, out of the till in one of their stores. Uh, but you know, the market is seeking companies that make money and have low debt. And uh, until the TLT or the bonds have a sustained rally, that the Magnificent Seven is going to be. If the market is going to rally, that's going to be the place to be. I mean, the only thing that's really going to knock us off our keister is if Apple comes out and warns or, you know, one of the big seven comes out and just says, hey, you know, nope, things aren't so rosy. But uh, right now, we're, we're just chugging well, Apple, along, Chief. Apple's revenue has been down what? How many quarters in a row? Yeah. It doesn't seem to matter. Yep. All right, but hey, uh, are you guys, right. do, you guys, do you guys have to play Penn State and Ohio State? We got we have uh, we have Michigan State this week on the road, and then we have a bye week. Purdue home at Maryland at Penn State, and then home in the Big House to take on the Buckeyes. Well, good for you. I think you guys got a, got you got a chance to, to run it out here. At least the Irish beat Southern Cal. And the, I know. Yeah. I'm so happy to see that man. I, I tell you, I don't I don't cheer for the Irish a whole lot, but I'm glad glad to see it, Chief. Uh, so you weren't a see- fan of that guy getting two Heisman's in a row. Oh, no. No, no me neither. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Having said that, Joel, take care of yourself. Thank you. Uh, SP Futures down 11. Nancy okay. Futures down 50. Real quick break. Then we'll have Mr. Kenny Polkiri. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Stocks, jocks, and jocks. stocks, and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now.
Well, it's Stash and Jacks. Time to mom. Matt Weber on the board. SP Futures down 11. SP Futures down 50. We're giving back a little bit of yesterday. Quick trivia question for you two Mavens. How many baseballs per year does a team go through in the major league level? Talking about for a 162-game season? Oh, well, you got the 81 home games and you got 15 preseason games. Okay, so you're talking about the home games. Yeah. Um, God, I wouldn't. I honestly have no clue. I'll say, I'll say eight thousand. Kenny, what? Well, listen, you, you got to give me three choices because I have no idea. <laughs> eight thousand sounds like a ton of balls to me, but I suppose it could be true. Ten thousand. Really? Wow. The average is six pitches. Ten thousand balls. Yep. Per team. Per wow. season. They, I mean, they just they get rid of them so quickly now. Sure. They they touch the dirt. They get rid of them. You know, it's the, yeah. obviously you have foul balls. You have home runs. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, that was a shot in the dark. You, could, I could have been way off, but that was not bad. That was not a bad guess. I have no. To it was say. Not. If you had no idea, that was I wouldn't have any idea what that number would have been. <laughs> average, average of six pitches. Wait, so it's ten thousand per team. Yes, per season, per team. Right. Who makes baseballs? Can we actually? Can you know, you know who? Uh, <laughs> you know who? Uh, Made baseballs forever. Uh, 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 De Beer made clinchers, right? And uh, yeah. they they was since got anyway horrible deal. I, I knew the guy who ran the place, and he, he had a brain aneurysm at a young age and died. Um, he was not feeling good driving. His wife said, "Let's pull over to the hospital." And he, they said, "Nothing was wrong." He was sitting there, and he died in a chair. It was awful. They got a real nice guy. Uh, clincher made in in Haiti or someplace or Dominican Republic. They made the uh, unlicensed, un- under contract for was Spalding. I think that was, whoever, whoever had the contract with Major League, these guys actually made the balls. And they had a big factory yeah. in Haiti or someplace. Uh-huh. I, I went to one of their uh, uh, big shows at the uh, Sporting Goods show. Maddie might have been able to imagine it. I couldn't. I don't know if you could have, Kenny. The amount of different sized balls and stuff these guys made. Some of the stuff for some of these Texas leagues, they play at night. The ball looked yeah. like it was fluorescent, like it had batteries in it. It was so bright. Then they had all kinds of stuff you can you can use in the gym. Every different size of softball, different softness of it. You can use them indoors where they won't break a window. They they, they must have had a hundred hundred maybe a thousand different balls that they made for different people. The only one we ever used was a clincher, right, Matty? Yeah. And uh, but no, it's the Beer and Company out of Albany, New York. But is that something? Did they make all those kinds of balls when you and I were kids? Yeah. Well, they did for. A lot of well, these twelve-inch leagues that, that play in crummy lights and stuff—they all got different colors on them, and the different. There's all kinds of different twelve-inch balls, right, Matty? I mean, some you can use in baseballs, softballs. Yeah. yeah, there's I mean, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. The girls yeah. used the fourteen-inch for a while instead of the sixteen. I mean, it, yeah, no, the girls used the big ones. Yeah. So anyway, it's a fascinating industry, but no, they were made uh, by De Beer under license. It was either Rawlings or Spalding. It was, it was held the contract to make, make major league baseballs for like a hundred years, but I don't think they ever made them. They just they, yeah. they license them out to somebody else. All right, Kenny, what's going on in the world here? We uh, we've got uh, all kinds Dude, of stuff going on. Would, kind of, go ahead. You would think yesterday's action would, and I put this in my notes. For you. you would think that that everything's coming up roses, right? That there's yeah. no there's no stress in the world. That the economies are great. There's no inflation. We've got an active uh, president. All that stuff. The way the market acted yesterday, right? I mean, I but it was Monday, and Ryan Dietrich always, you know, it was the fifteenth Monday in a row that the market has rallied. Well, wow. um, on what I really don't, I really think the market rallied yesterday because of the absence of. Uh, a breakout over the weekend that you know that Israel hasn't done it yet. Now I, I still think they're going to go and do it, 
But I think, you know, on Friday going into the weekend, we saw weakness. And then nothing really happened over the weekend in terms of warfare. And so then we saw this relief rally yesterday, um, which is what I really think happens. But I think the market remains a little bit, you know, a little bit on edge. We traded right up to the S&P trend line again. We kissed it and failed again. The short term is now the short term trend line is now pierced the intermediate, which is not that death cross uh, that you that you worried about. But it does send a warning signal up there that maybe, you know, people need to be a little bit more cautious and not so, you know, not so just go out and buy everything like a drunken sailor. Kenny, I seem to remember, and this is not rigorous, so I probably shouldn't say it, but I will anyway. Uh, I'm going I'm to say back in the, like the Kuwait War and some other times, I seem to recall it, it appeared that nobody ever wanted to be long going over the weekend. And then if nothing, bad, then if nothing right. bad happened, people bought it back at least a little bit on Monday morning. Right, and I think, and I think that's right because look, you saw it last weekend, especially when the when the rhetoric ramped up about what Israel was about to do going into the weekend. People, you know, risk comes off because people go, "Oh shit, I don't, you know, this could be really bad, or maybe it's not going to be so bad." But they don't want to risk it, so they take money off the table. Then yesterday, when we didn't, when we didn't have that weekend event. Then the money goes back in. We're also in earnings season, and we had some good earnings reports. And people are trying to change the, you know, change the subject. We're not hearing anything about Ukraine anymore. We're not hearing anything about Hunter Biden anymore. We're not hearing anything about. We're not even hearing about uh, uh, Trump indictment, no. which is actually, you know, that's a little bit of a relief as well because I'm exhausted with that too. But, um, you know, they focus right again now on earnings and uh, and and what the future looks like. And you got, you know, listen, you got half the people. Mikey Wilson came out again, says, you know, that the upwards revisions are, are starting to wane and the downward revisions getting bigger. And that's a negative sign. J.P. Morgan said the same thing. RBC says the opposite. Rick, uh, Richard Bernstein says the opposite. They think it's all a bed of roses out there and that the times are only going to get better. So you got this push and pull in the market. Which is why you know we're still standing in the same place at forty three seventy three. If you look at it, we've been stuck in this really tight trading range. Well, we have, and I, it's uh, hey, you know what was it? Before I forget, I almost did. What was the stack you said that a bunch of uh, stack traded before the uh, the uh, thing went on in Israel a week and a half ago? You said somebody bought a bunch of calls or puts in some stuff. Oh, stack. Uh, F- uh, FRO Frontier. I think it was. Let me just look it up. FRO was the name of the stock. Frontline, Frontline, which is a which is a shipping which is a shipping stock, and they move oil. They they own large carriers and tankers, and they transport oil between the Mideast and everywhere else in the world. And so somebody made a bet that on the Friday before a big options bet, which was kind of out of out of the norm, right? And then suddenly Hamas goes in and invades Israel, and on Monday morning the thing you know shoots up five percent or something. That option position made a lot of money. So I'm just curious. Oh yeah, did, did you uh, catch catch wind of this? I, I I just one of the guys over at the NFO will let me know um, because they always track all this stuff. But in the VIX, some somebody bought like now the VIX is trading. Uh, I've got yeah. it this morning, uh, probably up a little bit, but I got it. Yeah, it's up 49. It's trading 1771. Of it, if things get really hairy, uh, the yeah. thing gets back to like it gets a 30 or something or 32, and we've had all kinds of problems. You know, and it, and it can go higher. So don't don't, don't say that that's as high as it can go. Cause, oh, no, uh, but, easily. You know, somebody bought 20,000 of like four months in a row of the 180 calls. They're like January, yeah. February. Did you see that? When? Right before, right before the no, right like, before that? No, no, like last week or something. Oh, last week. The 180s? I mean, really? <laughs> that seems like kind of a... 
if we get the 180, I don't even know what the world's going to look like to you. Let's put it this way. You better be covering your, holding your ass and kissing your ass goodbye or something because. Yeah, uh, was that trade they bought the 180s i mean they were so far out they were probably they had to be next to nothing yeah right well they're 40 so they cents of them. the they, market spikes so those have to appreciate in some value in terms of yeah. percentage well you know right? you, you, you know what you really you really can do i mean i don't know if you were ever an, an option trader but what you can do is you you totally screw up the people that make markets in the in the vix yeah because if it does start to run up they're they're restricted on selling I'll say their normal amount that maybe they they would be able to sell risk wise, because your numbers, your 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 units they call them, you're you're already short ten thousand these things. So if we if we run up to thirty, you you can't sell the seventies because you already sold the one eighties. So right. What what I, what I used to do, Kenny, talk about a little trick. When I was in the pit, if we ever started to go down, um, I would I would immediately find something in a book that was at a sixteenth or at an eighth. And I'd buy, you know, 100 or 200 of them. And people say, why the hell, why are you buying those? We're not going down there. I, I know we're not going down there. But somebody somewhere today is going to have to pay an eighth for them because they need the units. Or if somebody tries to pay a lot of money for something, relatively a lot of money for a different strike above that, I can sell it then because I don't have, I mean, I'm not naked short anything. So, right. it, so this whoever did this just might be loading up the boat where if something crazy happens, now he can sell stuff because he's got something. I mean, I, I gotta believe that he doesn't think the, the VIX is going to 200. I mean, maybe he does. I mean, boy, that'd be no, awful. Going to 200. Where was it? Even during the crisis, where did it trade up in the 80s? Right? Is yeah. that where it was trading? Well, it, it spiked. I was gonna say 65 or 70, but even that right. was like one or two day event. I mean, uh, right. 180. You're right. I mean, I'm not even sure what the place would look like if. The well, we got to we got to two something during the 87 crash, but you know that was that was that was stone cold awful. I don't know. I can't imagine that happen again. But then again. Yeah, well, listen, I, you can't imagine it happening again, but, you know, I guess you can, right? Yeah. I mean, I was there. I mean, you know, I mean, I was right in the thick of it when that happened in 1987. Well, so. you know, just, we don't, I don't I want think, to, go ahead. I'm the, like, the, uh, you, you know, the you know, the crisis situation, though, I mean, uh, they'll keep this to 10 seconds. The, the, the immigrant situation here in Chicago is the best thing ever happened to him, Kenny, because it controls the news and everybody's talking about 10,000 people. In fact, the city was broke before they got here. Same thing in yeah. New York. I mean, it, it has now become the news, even though if the if the cities weren't in bad shape to start with, nobody cared if 10,000 people showed up. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, the, now we're talking about a war breaking out all over the place, and oh, by the way, we're broke. Well, why why are we broke? I mean, I mean, it it's, this stuff is all hitting at the wrong time because we managed to make ourselves in a, in a pickle before any of this even happened. Right. So, I mean, wouldn't you like to see in a room because if I could if I could do this I'd certainly have you there wouldn't you like to see how all this money somehow is either by barter or whatever is changing hands between all these people Hezbollah Hamas Iran half of them don't even like each other supposedly they don't have any money some are Shia some are Sunni uh, who's doing the bartering on the oil what are they using is, are, they, is, are any of our banks involved who's involved wouldn't you love to see a choreograph of all this money's flying around yeah, I would love to see where it, where it, where it's coming from, where it's going to, how it gets there, how it moves. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be there's got to be people people that we know of that are involved in that. Otherwise, it, how could it happen? These people don't even like each other. Right. Yes. Right. They they don't even like each other. Isn't that the damn? I mean, Iran seems to be doing one hell of an honor moving moving around a cash or barter or whatever for 
for a country that that, that, that does is out of the SWIFT program. They're out of everything, and nobody nobody's even accused them of using Bitcoin or anything like that. So you wonder how they're even doing it. Yeah, well, you know, I guess I guess at some point maybe we're going to find out. But it is amazing to see how they how they are doing it, right? And now, not to be left undone, in the middle of all this, you got Xi Jinping, you know, who who decides to chime in on what he thinks should happen, and he sides with Hamas. Of course, he does because he's kissing up to the Arab states because he wants to promote his Chinese agenda, oh, yeah. which is all, you know, which is all about uh, human rights. So he might as well get in bed with them. Yeah, that's all. It's pretty scary, and Kenny, thank you very much. Uh, so, you think yesterday was uh, just kind of the relief rally? Eh? Does that mean you're? I think the relief rally, I, and I think we're toppy here for right now, like on the S and P. I think we're going to keep, you know, testing that the upper trend line, and we're going to fail uh, until we hear definitively from you know how the earnings continue to go and what the Fed says. I know they're going to pause next week, but then what they what they kind of hint about going forward. All right, well, take care of yourself, bud. S P futures down only eight now. As if you're just down 37, we're, we're creeping back up. Be right back, Professor Elsner. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening here. Lone Bank Stacks and Jacks out tomorrow night. We're on the board. As we just down 10, as if we're down 46. Again, we're giving back a little bit of uh, Kenny and I were sort of agreeing that uh, uh, maybe the Friday sell off was a little too much as people want to be long the weekend, and we got a bunch of that back yesterday, and now we're sinking back the other way a little bit. Professor, how are you? Good morning. What's going on, man? Uh, just life in New York. The uh, life, in, life in the Big Apple, eh? Yeah, it's expensive. <laughs> well, it's that's because you're all making so much money, right? That you can afford all that stuff. Yeah, uh, professors uh, that don't work at NYU or Columbia, you know, uh, we do all right, I guess, but we don't do as well as they do at NYU and Columbia. That's for sure. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's uh, all right. But where, where's uh, where, where do professors make the most dough? Like at Stanford or someplace? You know, honestly, I think it's out west, um, and I think it's because pe- maybe people with PhDs want to be out west. But I, I think one of the reasons why the PhD salary for professors is so low. I mean, you look at the CUNY system; it, it's not very high. I mean, um, they got the you know the union scale, um, or they got the wage scale. Um, I guess and I looked at it. I'm like, wow, because um, 
I was making that, um, I was making an associate level salary in the CUNY system. I was making that in North Carolina, A&T State University, uh, you know, back in 2013. And so I think what it is, is there's a lot of people who grow up in New York who get their PhDs from probably schools in New York or nearby, and they want to stay in New York. And so there's this really huge supply of uh, uh, PhD professors um, who want to live and work in New York, which pulls down the wage. And then out west, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's just you know every every rural state has you know maybe at least two major universities. You know, the University of Idaho, Boise State, Idaho, Boise State University. You know, Oregon State, Oregon. Yeah, these rural kind of like large landmass states that have these two big universities and um, but salaries seem to be a little higher out there uh, from, from you know just looking for work and it's just amazing how low they are in New York given how expensive it is here is the same so, uh, you know I've been I've been thinking about it uh, for you know 10 years since my wife wanted to move to New York um, and there you are in New York yeah yeah, she wanted to, she wanted to live in New York, and I had her living out in Utah. She's from Brooklyn, and she didn't like that at all. So, about 2017 on, um, I was looking for work in New York City, and you know, uh, I, uh, some advice for uh, libertarian leaning um, economists who are uh, critical of the Keynesian uh, school and the but what I call the butt in school. Yeah. Uh, keep keep your views kind of closeted uh, until you get the job that you really really want. Because once you're outed, once you're outed as a as a uh, leaning to the Austrian school, once you're out of there, it's uh, I think it's really hard to get into school in New York City. Seriously, what uh, there was a uh, when you say you don't want to say much, I I get this uh, core digest thing. I, I get a kick out of reading it. There was a guy, one of these wacko. Uh, uh, Dictators in Africa, you know, always win the military uniform. Maddie, you love, yeah. you love this quote. The quote was something like, "You have the right to free speech, but if you use it, you might not have the right to see tomorrow." <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's the case in the Northeast. Yeah. I think that's the case in the Northeast. Yeah. Um, I, I actually economically. Was, I was uh, talking to some clients yesterday. So I had the TV down. Uh, they had these two goofballs on there. Goofballs. I'm sure they're PhD guys. Uh, arguing about um, Keynesian versus monetarist and blah blah blah, and a monetary theory versus Keynesian and monetary policy versus you know fiscal policy. And I, uh, I actually started this discussion one night when the people from the Fed were still working at the the people of the Fed are still not back to work; they're still all working at home and stuff. I, wow! It's just you know yeah. what a ridiculous situation that is. The people who we're yeah. paying are the last people to come back to work. Uh, and those guys make some dough. Oh, they make huge dough. <laughs> They, most of them, oh, they make, of them. I think they're making four hundred thousand a year in New York. They make way more than the people who are the governors. Yeah, governors, yeah, governors make, make like one hundred and fifty or two hundred or something. Yeah. It's, it's, well, the governor has, you know, the governor's appointed the governor because they, you know they made some past dough, right? Yeah. Well, they wouldn't be in the governorship unless they made some past dough. But I mean, uh, I don't think the chairman makes as much as a lot of people work there. Yeah. Anyway, it's it, like the president of the United States. I mean, he makes what four hundred fifty thousand. Yeah. Right kind of crazy but but the outside deals i mean you want to become president because of the outside deals right well your kids make all kinds of bank well it's yeah. well, even if even if you don't 
have wacky kids, you, you should be able to hit the rubber chicken circuit after after you're out. But still. oh yeah, you got you got the presidential. Uh, what do they call them? The libraries and yeah. the foundations. Oh man, um, some gravy there. But what I was I was going to ask is, I think I think I'm going to confirm it. Education has gone down the same rat hole that uh, medical has done. I mean, to where the doctors are nowhere near. The highest paid, yeah, I think play, so. Yeah, and, and players in the hospital, all the administrators. I got to believe that yeah. the administrators make an awful lot more than the professors. A lot of these universities. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the case at Westminster. I mean, we had administrators making uh, well into six figures, and the professors, you know, and you know, there's always this anxiety. There's also always a strife between, you know, arts and sciences and the business schools and economists. Um, because the business schools and economists, they tend to make more money. But that was the wrong argument to make. The, the real argument to make was the administrators and the rest of the faculty, because there is a big gap there, huge gap. Yeah, it's a, it's a massive gap. I, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you have to I mean, the overhead is... My, when I was at uh, University of Chicago, the big, I mean, University of Chicago was, a, was, was huge in, in a lot of ways, but uh, one of them, and I, I don't know I don't know if we can find this on the net... They had a, a boatload of endowed professorships, and uh, you know when, when you have a university trying to attract people, if you can have an endowed professorship, it's it's a big deal. I mean, uh, George Stigler had the uh, Charles R. Walgreen, and I and I not positive. I don't think it was the guy who started Walgreens. I think it might have been a, hmm. I, I'm not sure, but it, anyway, but that that endowed professorship has three. Stigler and the two guys after him, because Stigler died a long time ago, uh, all won Nobel Prizes. That one chair has had three Nobel Prizes. Hmm. Wow. But what I'm saying, in, when I was, I graduated in 76, so I'm going to say in 77, 78 in there, uh, an endowed professorship means if, if I wanted to give money or Hal or Maddie to Notre Dame, okay, you could either write them a check and let them do whatever they wanted with it, which I've, I, of course, would never do. Or you could endow a professorship and say, here's... But back in those days, when interest rates were like 10%, I think an endowed professorship was like $3 bucks. So mm-hmm. so you'd make three hundred grand a year off the interest. You'd, you'd pay the guy, you know, one fifty, and he'd have three or four, you know, maybe assistants or something, or, or uh, tech guys, or maybe they didn't even give him the whole amount. When, when interest rates were like one, what did, and if the guy's making two hundred grand, what would you have to come up with for an endowed professorship, like forty mil or something? Yeah, well, these uh, these universities do have these big endowments, so there's got to be money sloshing around there. No, but right? they, they keep this; yeah. it's kept separate. Yeah. It, it is, yeah. is, is a, yeah. it is it is a it's parceled off. It would be the yeah. Hal Snar seat that you know that we we you know you'd, you'd hire Matty Weber to be that you know that guy. He's the professor in communications or something, and yeah. and that and that. Endowment pays Maddie's salary, and then when, yeah. you know when Maddie leaves or something, there's a, there's one for the next guy. I mean, I mean University of Chicago probably has fifty of these things. But wow! What, I mean, what is it? What is that? They they have I mean at least at least seven or eight in economics. That's when I was there. So yeah, they got to have all kinds of them in the law school and other places. You would think in the med school. Yeah. But uh, I guess uh, I'm not I'm not too I'm not too too familiar with them. But I mean, they somebody donates a bunch of money. That money is managed. Uh, I mean, who would manage the money? Well, I'm sure the the, the people the, the the people manage the foundation, but it's managed separately. 
Yeah. Uh, it might be the same strategy. They probably have invested. They, they probably have invested broadly. I would suspect. Well, right? in, 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 when I when I say in my day, when I was there, and interest rates were ten percent, it was pretty damn easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you, you got ten percent at one point. You got twelve. I mean, uh, so you didn't have to do much. Well, yeah, but what's the real what's the re- real return on ten percent though back then, right? Well, it, it, that's that's the part that one of these days you or uh, Russell is going to explain to me. In those days, people. People put money in a bank. My mom, your grandmother, uh, you always covered the inflation in the bank. If the inflation was 10, you got 12. If the inflation was 12, yeah. you got 14. This time, everybody got hosed. And I guess yeah. I, I'm still not convinced, having read an explanation, why that. I think the Fed overwhelmed everybody so much, they put so much money in that people didn't even have to match inflation or something. They, just, yeah. they had such a wash of money in there. Uh, but, but those days, I mean, you, if you had if you had cash, you never lost lost to inflation. Yeah, yeah. But now, now if you if you have cash, you're down what forty percent in four years, and you're and you're on your uh, buying power. Well, I think I think it's only going to get worse too. I think so. If people who own properties can hang on to them, you, you look at who won during the inflation of, of Germany uh, that gave rise to Hitler. The people who won were the, the property owners. Um, so if you can hang on to your properties, um, I think you can beat the inflation. I, I think that's how you do it, right? That's how I'm going to try to do it. Well, but some properties are flying up and some aren't. I mean, I yeah. think we're going to find... Well, I think over a long enough time period, though, I think over a long enough time... I mean, you look at what was the median house uh, median house price in the 1960s, right? I, I remember buying a house when I was in the Navy... I was going to buy it as an investment property when I was in the Navy as a staff pickup. It. I'm going to say uh, and the house was sixty thousand. I will look. I'm going to say hundred ten. I'm going to say uh, fifty to sixty thousand. The fifties. I'm going to try and find yeah. it here. But yeah. you know, I, I think it's only about fifty thousand. Yeah. But you know, it's uh, when 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 you just said that, if you uh, you're, you're from New York right now, okay, there's there's people in New York that used to rent for their entire life. Yeah. But, but but the reason why I say that is, if if the Fed doesn't do a half-ass abysmal job like ours has done for the last fifty years, there should be no long-term advantage to anybody either owning or renting, should there? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, if if, if money, if money, if they're not printing excessive amounts of money and causing the inflation that we're experiencing, because that's what inflation is. Yeah. Inflation is the Fed printing too much money. Flood the system with too much money. That's that's where it comes from. It's not from price shocks. It's not from demand or supply shocks. It's not from that. It's from the Fed just dumping too much money in the system. And if, if they don't do that, I, I think uh, it's kind of a wash with renting and owning. But hey, the Fed. I think the Fed was created to create that inflation, right? Well, I, uh, because I mean, but I mean, you should... rents rents rise geometrically through time. And so if you buy a property before inflation happens. And inflation happens, you know, 20, 30 years later, the value of that property has grown geometrically. The rent you can get generate from that property has grown geometrically. And so I think that's why the Fed, that, that's why these uh, big, uh, powerful people uh, organized the Fed on Jekyll Island. Well, I mean, it might have been, but I mean, if you were to do the, what you could do, I, I've forgotten how to do it, is if you were to do a, why? Why would somebody rent versus buy? Well, you'd rent, just like, like, well, I won't kind of story about owning versus renting a seat when you were on the trading floor years ago. There should have been no no difference whatsoever. 
right? One, if you had, if you wanted two or three more guys to trade, and the person had the seat, it should all come back to a risk-free return, right? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, in New York, I think in New York, it's uh, it's much better to rent than it is to own if you're middle income or lower, because all the laws, the law, the the tenant laws, are all skewed toward the tenant and away from the landlord. And I think that is in, in, uh, maybe intended, not intended. I don't think it really matters, but. The purpose of that, or the, the consequences of that, is that um, the properties that middle-income people own um, and rent out, they um, uh, depreciate. Also, um, if they have a bad tenant there, they can't evict them, and they go underwater. They're not they're not able to cover the the mortgage on the rental properties, and rich people sweep in and buy them up. So, um, it, it's definitely New York. Um, it's uh, skewed toward the renter in uh, terms of well it is it is in terms of uh the laws for sure yeah. but yeah. it's uh well the inflation too the inflation too because who who can access all that credit uh at the lowest interest rates right i mean middle-income people especially with the new dodd frank laws well not new but the dodd frank laws i mean you have to have 30 percent down there's no more of the you know, you can you can have a second mortgage. You know, they got rid of all the ways that people who who weren't in this business who were trying to get in this business. They basically regulated all that away. It made it really difficult for people to get a start in this. Oh, it's business. very very difficult, very difficult. And, oh, it is horrible. And by yeah. taking, and the weird part is like by taking even common sense out of the system. You know, now everything has to be wired. It used to be where you know I didn't buy that many houses, but I had a couple when I used to remodel them, and uh. My attorney would always say, hey, bring an extra few hundred bucks in case somebody added the thing up wrong. You know, so mm-hmm. if, it's, if you're off by 50, you can just give the guy the cash. Now, you can't do that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, is, is that unbelievable? I mean, why, why would somebody even, even, you know, the regulators, they, they have nothing better to do. They need, they need to all be fired or what? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, it, it, the system is set up. And it, I think that's the reason why in one of your earlier segments today, it was at the bottom of the hour. Um, about 45 minutes ago, maybe an hour ago, yep. um, where your guest was talking about how the rich have gotten really rich. And this is one of the reasons why, I think, because it's really hard to break into this kind of business now. I mean, with just all the rules and regulations. And, and I, I don't think it's by accident. I think it's by design, right? You limit the number of people who can bid on homes. Uh, and then the, the people that are the elite in this area, they have fewer, they have less competition, and so they have to pay less for these properties. And to me, it's it, it's by design. It's not by accident. Um, what year? It's not you... to protect the consumer. Okay, what year did you want? I have found this. Was this oh, a... I don't know, 1968 when I was born. Uh, 24 nine. 24,000. Yep. Quarter yeah, two, so... quarter two, nineteen Yeah, my, my parents bought a house in Lewiston, Idaho in 1987. I think they paid about 60 for it. And it's probably over a hundred thousand now. Easy. They don't. They don't own anymore. They passed away. Well, I mean, I'm saying. I'm, I'm sure the house is over one hundred twenty. It it, 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 sh- it should go up. I mean, there's, there should be. I mean, a lot, a lot of times there's going to be a little bit of inflation. Okay, even if it's one or two yeah. percent. But what I'm saying yeah. it sh- it shouldn't be. Uh, if 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 the economy ever worked properly, like it was supposed to, if you were if you were to decide whether I should buy the factory building, okay, or lease it. Right, you should say, okay, well, I'm going to lease it because I'm paying this guy seven percent 
or wh whatever it is on the, for the for the property. My my rent's going to be X. Uh, the interest rate is whatever that he has to pay. So I'm going to pay a little above that. But by the way, my idea, what I'm making in the factory, is going to return me 12 percent. So the last thing I want to do is take half that money out to buy the building where I'm only going to be making seven or eight, which is yeah. because my idea. It's why it's why people have ideas, right? Is just for at least a little while, your idea is going to return you more than the, than the risk-free rate. I mean, that's why people build stuff. That's why people open factories, right? That's why people do software. I mean, that, that's what I mean. You know this. That's why that's what makes the economy roll. And but yeah. so, it shouldn't be that five years later, because of something the Federal Reserve did, the building is now four times higher. I mean, yeah. I mean that that's. That's crazy. The landlord, the landlord, landlord wins, and that's why McDonald's. Yeah. I'm saying it shouldn't, McDonald's it shouldn't is more be, of a real estate company, isn't yeah. it? Is well, that, that, McDonald's more real estate company? Well, uh, it, it owns careful. some really awesome real estate. Careful, that's what your buddy uh, Jim, uh, who's the guy on uh, CNBC, uh, the, the guy with the big mouth dude, he said you had to go buy everything Kramer. with Kmart. Kramer. Jim Kramer. Yeah, yeah. you had to go buy everything that uh, uh, what's his name, his buddy Eddie Lambert did at Sears and Kmart because look at the, the real estate. Where did that yeah. go? Bankrupt. That didn't go for yeah. Well, I think Kmart and Kmart for uh, for instance, I think it's mostly in rural areas. Um, and I think uh, Kmart's demise was before um, rural became chic. And I think rural has become chic today because people can work remotely, right? They don't have to live in the city anymore. Well, except that when I tell you you gotta come back and you're a thousand miles away. That's yeah. a problem. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, but I, hey, the VA is not. I don't think the V. I don't think the people at the VA are back yet in person. No, <laughs> I think they're still probably working remotely, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the, the people that were you know the government workers. But my my question to you, 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 you know, you were talking. We started, and of course, going off topic like I always do. Uh, the two guys on TV were arguing yesterday: fiscal versus monetary policy. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting to the point where, uh, and I started this discussion with my buddies at the Fed. Like I said, when they still were around. I don't. I don't think there's ever been a time that I that I can think of, and you do more historical, where there actually has been pure fiscal policy. Where the, where the, where the monetary side, when I, when, I, when I say this, fiscal policy is you you raise taxes, uh, and then you you spend more, okay, or you you just plain spend more and borrow more. That's fiscal policy. It has nothing to do with. The money supply and the and the and the uh, Federal Reserve, or whatever your monetary authority is, if if you just do that, the theory the theory is that you're gonna if you go out and tax or borrow hundred million dollars from your population, you're gonna spend the whole hundred million, where people at least used to have a savings clause where their hundred million they essentially are gonna save twenty, which nobody does anymore, but they used to. Now the idea is for if you're going to kickstart the economy, you're essentially in the short term stealing from savings and putting it into consumption, right? Right, Hal. Yeah. So, so that that's uh, Keynesian theory, all right, to where you should be always, as a government, if the, if the thing overheats, you should be taxing a little a little more, and if it underheats, you should be taxing. You should be deficit or or surplus financing to essentially go against the business cycle, the normal business cycle. Yeah, when the economy goes into uh, recession, yeah. you uh, cut taxes, you increase government spending, you blow up the deficit. And when we go into, uh, 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 when we're growing rapidly, when we're in an expansion, robust expansion, you do the opposite. The right. problem with that whole model, there's two problems. One, uh, you're constantly changing tax rates. 
which makes it really difficult for businesses to plan for, you know, a long horizon. Um, two, what politician is going to vote, what Democrat is going to vote for lowering tax or uh, cutting government spending during an expansion and what Republicans going to vote for um, raising taxes during an expansion? They're not going to do it. No. So you only get half, you only get half the Keynesianism. Right? And, and you also, and, and that, you yeah. also, the, 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 the rate by the time you, you you run it through Congress, you all you, you essentially start raising taxes when you want to be lowering them, and, and the other way around, you you, you yeah, never can match the up. Policies always lag, right? Yeah. Policies always lag. It's like it's like the Bush tax cuts of two thousand one. The tax cuts weren't put in place; they weren't going to be in place until I think two thousand and five, and then the next year the Republicans took more seats and they were able to move the implementation date up to two thousand three. By then, the recession was over, right? Yeah. So really, the Bush tax cuts in 2001 were basically these ridiculous tax checks, right, that we got, the $600 or $300. Yeah. That was basically the, te- the the Bush tax cuts, and it was completely ridiculous. Well, but my, my point is that we, can we ever think of a time where the central bank did not, I use the term contribute, help out? Because once they help out, now it's become monetary policy, right? Well, what what the what the Federal Reserve is doing is it's it, you know if California had a Federal Reserve, uh, California had a central bank, you don't think they'd be printing money left and right and ha- raising taxes and and increasing government expenditures? Oh, sure. I, I think the the fact that the central bank exists gives uh, the the Treasury and the legislative body and the president this license to run deficits. Well, I mean you, that's what the Federal Reserve you, does. But it, you, it enables them. But you there have been times when we didn't have. A, well, we didn't have a Federal Reserve during the Civil War, but yeah. we only increased we, since we weren't even here. I wasn't here, so it's, I don't want to say we. Hey, you got a mouse in your pocket? Who's we? Uh, the uh, They only increased the money supply, they, by 10% a year, which during a war is pretty darn good. I mean, it's one of the reasons why the North kicked ass on the South, because the South raised their money supply so much, and then they had bills that were easy. Yeah, they easily, printed it, yeah. yeah and they, plus, they were easily counterfeited, which made it worse. Yeah. So, I mean, it was one of the reasons why the North stayed solvent and the South didn't. And actually, after the war, they dragged some of that money back out of the system because they wanted to get back on the gold standard. So it was handled way better than we've done lately. I mean, not even close. So, yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is when people argue about Keynesian theory, when has there actually been a time, for instance, with COVID, you know, and Trump wanted to send everybody a, a check, you know, not just Trump Center, everybody wanted to. It wasn't just him. Uh, where where Powell would have said, "You're on your own. <laughs> either either borrow it, either borrow it or tax for it. I'm not I'm not giving you a dime." I mean, then then we would have seen whether fiscal policy actually worked, but that didn't want to happen, right? Yeah, because well, the M two just skyrocketed. Yeah, I mean, we're still working off that COVID bubble, right? I don't think we're even. If you working, look at the, we're not even working it off. The, yeah, if you look at the true money supply that the Austrians have come up with. You look at the true money supply; that bubble's even bigger. Oh yeah, it's massive, and we're not even close to working that off. Well, after after uh, break, we got a few minutes of the chit chat here. But after break, if you could, I'm, as I'm doing some study on the on the Middle East uh, with this war going on, hopefully it doesn't get much worse. But uh, two things: uh, one is when you look at the places like Lebanon and their money, their value to currencies down ninety percent in the last four years, and that kind of thing. How much of that, in your opinion, has been driven by us, the Brits, the Japanese, uh, Euros, uh, all doing the same thing, and it, they're, they're kind of caught in a wave? I mean, I guess my question is, can any individual little crummy currency, like 11, I don't even know what it is, 
can they stand up in, in, in the world to what we've done to the dollar? Can, can they be? I mean, the, the Swiss sort of do, uh, but the Lebanese are not the Swiss. In other words, can, can anybody in a, in a small country not doing so hot effectively fight what the rest of the people have done to the worldwide currencies? That, that's, I guess that's question number one. Question number two is, how is all this money and wealth changing hands and buying rackets and doing this and all these people that don't seem to have any banking system? How are they pulling all that off? It can't just be all barter system. I mean, I don't even... I mean, everybody's blaming the Iranians on all this stuff. And they're probably right, but how, how the hell are they doing it? I mean, are they they're sending a, a, a tanker of oil to you know Hell's Hell's place, and and instead of giving them a check, you're giving the check to Matt Weber, and he's going to buy rackets, and he's delivering them over to these guys. I can't imagine the complexity of that. Can you? I mean, it, the uh, I mean, it, obviously it's happening somehow, but you wonder who all the players are and what banks are actually involved that shouldn't be involved. I just love to see a choreography of where all this money's coming from and all this stuff's changing hands. And, and by the way, if I, you know, if my executive producer, Mr. Weber, if I say, hey, Matty, order me up a thousand rackets, who do you call? I mean, are, are, they, are they made, are the parts made here? Are they made somewhere else? I don't, my, Mike Murphy claims that they're not, they're not, everybody, of course, says they're coming out of the stuff we left in Afghanistan. And my, my uh, guys like Mike Murphy in the Army say that's BS because. We, we haven't made a dumb racket that you just shoot a thousand of them in one direction in, in 50 years. So we didn't leave any of that in Afghanistan, so it's not us. I mean, we're, where's all this stuff happening? I, every time I, I, I pick up the paper or, or anything, I just come up with more questions, don't you? But the economics... Yes. Anyway, when we come back, you, you answer all these questions. I've, I've taken five minutes to answer them. <laughs> but, I mean, it, don't you find it fascinating? Yeah, it is. It's fascinating how they, how they can do it, right? And yeah. Yet it's it's happening, and uh, and obviously it's happening, and people are dying. So it's not so hot. SP futures down twelve, Nasdaq futures down fifty nine. We're going to come back, solve all these problems in the world right after break. This self directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas. 
ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know. All while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities. They play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and try to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, Stocks jocks, stocks, and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Howell. We're on the board. Let's do futures a dip a little bit here. We're down 14 points. Kansas futures down 74. Retail sales just came out. They were up 0.7% versus 0.3%. Uh, the estimation, so uh, they, they came in a lot stronger. I'm not sure what they're, they're using here as the uh, deflator, if there is one. It really actually isn't the deflator on retail sales, so they're up 0.7% from uh, uh, you know, last month. So I guess, I don't know if, it, if gas prices are up or what's up, but we'll try to get some kind of a review on that. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Uh, Dow futures are down 60 individual stocks. We've got Johnson & Johnson is up 97 cents. It was up more. They had earnings. We have Goldman Sachs uh, is up 31 cents. Now, they came out lower after the earnings, but now they've, they've gotten positive. Uh, and we've got Amgen down 318. Nothing really other than that, and the Dow moving all that much. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX down 67.4%. FTSE's up uh, 36.5%, so they're, they're going the other way. Kekron down 16.2, so kind of mixed bag over in Europe. Asia bouncing back from yesterday's losses. Nikkei up 381, 1.2%. It's been getting pretty volatile. Uh, Hang Seng up 132, 0.7%, trying to get back to 18,000, 17,773. Shanghai up 9.3%. This is a way of review yesterday. Dow was up 318, S&P up 45, NASDAQ up 160. Made back most of what we lost on Friday. Uh, bonds, 10-year, up 10 basis points. This, that's why this was so crazy yesterday. We rallied so much with the interest rates going up. We're at 4.81 here on the 10-year. Uh, Bond up 7 basis points, 2.85. Japan up 5 basis points. It's a big move. 0. 0.80. That's, you know, that's a big percentage move in that. Uh, let me see if I can find a 30-year here. 30-year, uh, 4.95. Uh, so 30 years pushing back towards 5%. Oil, up 24 cents, 86.90. Brent up 36 cents, 90.01. Natural gas down a penny, 309. Arbob up a penny, 228. We've got gold, which has been rallying. 
That's up a little bit today, up 550, 19.39. Silver up 17 cents, 22.94. I went along all this stuff, so that, that's good news for us. Uh, we've got Bitcoin down 122. We had a big move up yesterday, 28,393. And the U.S. dollar uh, is moving a little bit. It's actually up, uh, actually up quite a bit, a bit against the British pound. British pound's down to 121. It's down 79 ticks. Euro down 16 to 105. That's all because of these retail sales numbers. Matty, what do you got for us, Trevi Weather Sports? 35 minutes past the hour. Good morning once again to everyone out there. We have a few uh, issues piling up here on a Tuesday morning. We have a semi-fire blocking the right lane of the northbound Tri-State just before I-290. This has uh, stop-and-go traffic and uh, significant delays building up as crews are on the scene trying to put out this semi-fire that's blocking the right lane. So that's affecting both I-294 and I-290 out in the western suburbs. Also on I-290, on the inbound Eisenhower at Independence Boulevard, which is exit 26A, we have a crash that's causing delays. So 290 uh, in both directions, not looking great right now. If you're coming in from the north side, there's an overturned semi blocking the right lane of Irving Park Road right at the uh, entrance to the Kennedy um, at, at Irving there on the eastbound side. It's blocking the right lane. There's been crews working on this for the last hour or so. I don't know how a semi overturns on a city street, but uh, but that apparently happened. Yeah, how do you do that? <laughs> I've seen pictures on Twitter, too. It's a full tractor trailer laying on its side on Irving Park Road. Um, one other issue to report, if you're coming in uh, from the south side, uh, we have a crash on the Dan Ryan local lanes inbound side at 18th Street. That's blocking the right lane. Um, so uh, all kinds of issues uh, as you're heading in this morning. Give yourself plenty of time if you're coming into downtown. Weather today, this, the bright uh, yellow and orangish circle thing in the sky is back for the first time in at least a week. Uh, some sunshine out there. Uh, we'll, we'll warm up to a high of 60. Right now it is clear and 46 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, sunny with a high of 101 today. Right now it's clear and 76. In sports, Blackhawks won on the road last night in Toronto, beating the Maple Leafs 4-1. Coyotes lost to the Rangers 2-1. MLB playoffs, the Rangers lead the Astros 2-0 after beating Houston on the road 5-4. Phillies took Game 1 in the NLCS over the Diamondbacks 5-3. And in Monday Night Football, it was the Cowboys winning on the road in L.A. over the Chargers 20-17. Chief, who's your, uh, who do you think is going to be in the World Series? I I was thinking uh, Texas and Arizona, but Arizona lost last night. Well, it's only one game. Yeah. Uh, Texas, I mean, they look, they're in the driver's seat winning the first two on the road. I would be, it seems they're going to be in. In the NL, I mean, the Phillies are favored, but uh, diving backs are tough. We'll see. But, yeah, Phillies took game one with, with power. I mean, Schwarber leads off the game with a home run. Harper hits a home run. Um, you know, they paid for these guys, and uh, they're reaping the benefits. Whereas cheap teams like the White Sox and the Cubs to a certain extent, uh, are at home. Yes. Wondering. Well, at home, wondering and watching. Yes. Um, one question, or Cody Bellinger toast? I think he probably is. I mean, it would be sad if uh, a major market wouldn't sign that guy when he's in his prime and wants to stay here and, uh, you know, plays multiple positions and carry you for three months. But, you know, that's, I'm resigned to the fact that he's probably gone. How do you, uh, in today's economy, and help opine in on this, when when one guy is available, his price is going to be way higher than it ought to be. I mean, the guy's hit two good years out of six, and you're going to pay him MVP money for eight. I don't know how you do that. Just saying. That's the decision you make. You hope that you're paying um, because he, of his age, that he's going to have 
of those seven or eight years, he's going to have five great ones. And then, you know, if he has a couple bad ones at the end, you, then I guess you, you eat those and that's just the market. But you'll, you make a good point. I mean, he, um, in his first six years, he had, uh, you know, two really good years at the beginning and an MVP. And then he had injuries and was, was not very good for three years. And then this year he signs a one-year deal and, and had a great year again. So who knows what you're going to get. Um, your buddy just finally came off the payroll, eh? Who would uh, that be? Uh, who's, who's Hayward? It? Yeah. Yeah, Hayward, officially off. Officially <laughs> off the payroll. Yeah. He actually had a pretty good year this year. He had a, Yeah, he had a decent year. Um, all right, Hal, I'm looking at uh, uh, our money supply, uh, and we, we jumped from – uh, February of 2020, right before COVID, to uh, April of 2022, I'm going to say it's up 39% or so, maybe 40. If if you're sitting in, in Lebanon or someplace with their currency, how do you how do you how do you if you want to how do you fight that? I mean, I'm looking at the the Turkish uh, number here. Ugh, if you want to see something awful, the Turkish number was. In, t- in 2020, the number was, you know what, I honestly, even though my vision is still pretty good, hell, there's so many zeros after these. I, there's got to be 15 zeros. Anyway, but now there's like there's like 20 zeros. They've got to be up like seven times since whatever it was. It's, it's two with like 90 bazillion zeros after it in, in uh, 2020. Now it's 14 with... At least w- more than one bazillion zeros behind it, so they've got to be up forty, fifty times in in uh, in four years. With mm. the inflation rate is their inflation rate's what like one hundred and twenty or something. How how if if Turkey wanted to do it right, and, and if the guy wasn't a total idiot who runs a place, how can how can a country like that fight against us and the big boys doing what we did and, and keep their currency? Are they, are they by definition going to do worse than we do, or could they stick with the same number we do and only be only be forty percent higher? How do you, how would you even manage something like that? I mean, the Swiss managed managed too, but they're kind of an outlier. I mean, can anybody f- fight what the rest of the world did to them? Well, you know, you look at Lebanon. You asked about Lebanon. They were at what sixty trillion in their currency. Back in 2020, right when the pandemic hit, yeah, now like they're that. at 131, and their inflation is 5,000 percent. Yeah. So you know, you know that that I mean that's going to hurt the you know the the bottom half of the population more so than the top half. It's going to just hurt them worse. And maybe this, and you know, probably something similar going on in Gaza. You know, this is uh, uh, wrecking havoc on the on the people on the the lives of those people. And that's creating resentment, right? And then they probably see the United States, you know, we have the news, we have the sports, we have the movies, they see us as prospering. Um, you know, it's got to build, build resentment in there. So um, what does what Swiss's M2 look like? I don't know, but I'm saying that they, they always manage to hang in there. Yeah. But let, I, me, let, let me see what Swiss looks like. But I mean, we're... We're, we're, oh, I guess what's it's the opposite story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In 2020, they saw a depreciation in their M2 um, up to the point of the pandemic, and then then they grew back to uh, kind of a Obama era trend. And they never got that COVID bubble of money, 
and now they, you know, in terms of them too, there's a serious deflation in Switzerland. So if Switzerland's doing well, it's because they didn't do what every every other nation did: inflate, right? They didn't inflate worse than the United States. They def- they actually deflated according to them too. Yeah, that's something. But I wonder how yeah, much. Uh... They're, they're, they're 95, 150 billion. But how much? And of, how much of their in 2020? They were at uh, 100 billion. Is that is that a is that a fake number though? I mean, I say that some people in Switzerland must do transactions using euros. Yeah. So I wonder if it's you know the fact that the the euro blew up if, if people in Switzerland weren't using the euro a little more than their own currency. Maybe yeah yeah it, it's kind of hard to tell. I've never been to Switzerland. I do know they make a nice cup of coffee and they have some awesome chocolate, but um, I'm not sure how you know the euro interacts with. Uh, everyday transactions in Switzerland. Like in the 1980s, it's regular for, uh, I don't know if this was going on in Illinois, but in Idaho, it was regular, it, w- it was common to see Canadian coins mixed in with uh, American coins really? in Lewiston, Idaho, because we're only we're only about 100 or so miles from the Canadian border. So Spokane, Washington is pretty close to the, the Canadian border, Coeur d'Alene is. I, I used to see Canadian coins all the time, and I used to take them as if they are quarters at the bus terminal that my parents ran. Really? Well, yeah. Matty Weber goes over to Switzerland every six months to visit his banker. <laughs> Matty, how'd you? How'd well, you he's th- really yeah. he's really a black op operator, right? Well, sure, he's black. He, ops. He's like he's like Jason Bourne, right? Yeah, Matty, how'd you pick Switzerland and that? Uh, what's the other little country that has him? Uh, Luxembourg. <laughs> I never been to either. Oh, see, when I <laughs> you, let, you let your wife go over and do all this stuff. <laughs> well, I, I think it'd be kind of neat. Did you ever see the part in the? Uh, the Born Identity, the original one, that you know, the, the one that followed the book, when when you actually write, you had to five. There was a five zero account. Yep. And you had to, it was pretty neat. We had your signature was how you how you put your numbers together. I never thought you, your numbers were that distinctive, but evidently they are. It was a great scene. Um, I just wonder when you talk about this world type economics. I mean, uh, I, you know, I, I there's no way you can justify at any kind of level the the raid on the Israeli people two weeks ago um, but it seems like you and I Hal and a lot of people could say you got a place where there's 25% unemployment somewhere along the line you better fix it or you're going to have a problem same thing in, in Lebanon I mean they're being run by this paramilitary Hezbollah people uh, it, the places you know I'm sure the people on the low end of the totem pole aren't eating very well and you've got prices worldwide for food going up it, it's it's just a recipe for disaster. It doesn't mean anybody should start shooting, but economically, yeah. it's very predictable, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, go ahead. yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I would say it's it, it's it's predictable. It's you know I when, when people are starving, they're going to leave where they are and go somewhere else. I mean, I got I can't yeah. believe. I mean, I've I had heard stories about some of these people in Venezuela. They 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 managed to walk through Central America. How in God's name? Can you make it through Central America? You get here, and there's people saying, "Oh, those people don't want to work." What do you mean <laughs> they don't want to work? Yeah. They they just did they something just that you've never done in your life. But most people here couldn't yeah. couldn't, couldn't walk to the South Side if they had to, let alone, let alone through a mountain range. For oh, God's I sake. talk about talk about risk takers. I mean, yeah, they're like the people coming across the Mayflower. I mean, the people coming across the Mayflower on a wooden boat, right? And their fate was determined by the winds. Yeah, those were risk takers, and the people coming from from Venezuela. They're risk takers. I mean, they're, they're risking death. They're risking murder. They're risking being taken away to some slave uh, 
sex slave trade. Yeah. They're risking rape to come from Venezuela to the United States. They're, they're risk takers. And America is a place where we should want risk takers. Now, now what, I, what I don't want is I kind of follow Milton Friedman's advice on this. If you're a welfare state, you're going to draw, you're, you're going to select a certain kind of immigrant, right? Um, but if you don't have that welfare state, the, the, the people that are coming to the United States, they want a better life. They want opportunity. They want freedom. The, 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 I think the people who are Muslim here in the United States who have fled Middle East countries, they fled because they don't want to live under an autocracy, right? So right. they come to the United States, and they, they want to just live their lives, raise their kids, without having government tell them what to think or what to do. So we should celebrate the people that are here, right? Yeah, we, we, and we're we, not, we, we got a different idea. If, if they get something, it's something I should be getting. Yeah. That's, that's you know, that's... It's everybody's view, right, of just about everything. But uh, well, we, one of the problems with uh, Chicago—well, I don't know about Chicago, but New York—is one of the, the the reasons why there's a lot of now uh, anger bubbling up around this illegal migration is that the the people that are coming here from—and I'm not I'm not saying I'm against this or uh, in favor of uh, against it—but people who are coming here, they're getting free train rides, plane rides, bus rides into New York City. And then once they get here, they're homeless, and they're being put up in really nice hotels, and you know their laundry's being taken care of, their food's being taken care of, and you got Americans living on the street, so that's causing a bit of angst right there, right? So you know I'm not sure what the answer is in New York City. Yeah, I mean I, the answers are, are elusive. Uh, I'll use that yeah. term, but I mean I mean the, the homeless population in the United States, I mean they do have the right to go to work if they if they so choose. But the migrants right now really don't have a right to work legally unless they work illegally under the table. Well, I, you know, that's another I, one of my attorney buddies. He talks about this every night. We get together. You know, you, you, you can't get hired. I go, you know, somehow along the line, we have to stop with this. We can't do it because of some regulation. Yeah. You sh- show up with a bus. There's 50 parks in the city that look like crap. Say so get on the bus. We're going to clean this park. I'm paying everybody, you know, twenty bucks an hour, whatever minimum wage is. And by the way, when you get back here, you're going to get paid cash, and I'm going to take fifteen percent of it. And even though you don't have a social security card, we're going to form a credit union, and we're going to put fifteen percent in there. So when you do get your social security card and you have to pay tax, at least you got it. Just yeah. just do it, you know, and 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 worry about the regulations later, or you can sit around. Wine and man, I'd sure like to clean this park. I'd sure like to give that guy a job. I just, just friggin' do it for God's sake. Well, it's, it's, it's it, easier to ask for what? Easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission, right? I mean, come on. Well, one of the problems with that is I don't believe in coercion. I believe in voluntary uh, action. And you think, know, Mussolini was revered by the Italians because he made the trains run on time, right? Well, I'm not saying so you. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I'm not saying you throw him on the bus. I say, who wants a job yeah. today? I mean, I, I guarantee yeah. you, it fills up. I mean, be, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with you know taking fifteen percent out, putting a, and forcing them to save. I don't agree with that. You can encourage them to save. Well, because you can encourage them if, if you don't. Maybe giving them information. If you don't, it's on you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You got to pay. Yeah. Well, anytime you start, uh, government starts uh, going around the law and forcing people to do something they may not want to do. That's a slippery slope to something else. I mean, that's like the Patriot Act, right? The Patriot Act, Patriot Act was only supposed to surveil, you know, foreigners, but now they're using it to surveil Americans. So 
I, I just don't want to go down those slippery slopes. Well, you can encourage okay, them to educate I'm, I'm, and, and get rid of. Yeah, I'm saying is they're not going to be able to have a bank account. Yeah. Okay. So well, you make it easier for them to get a bank account, well, right? Okay, but you, you can just form a credit union. Yeah. Okay, and you can do that. It could be the the uh, Venezuelan people at the 19th Street Police District. It could be their credit union. You don't have to have a million people in a yeah. credit union. Yeah. What I'm saying is, if, if, if the the federal government, if they make a thousand bucks, they want 150 bucks. Yeah. Right. So, oh no, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, you know, by the way, if you paid them and they don't pay the government, they're going to come after you. Why didn't you withhold it? Yeah. You know. So well, it's a, you know, if if they if they're allowed a green card. As soon as they get here and they, they're allowed to legally work, well, then you don't have a problem. And they're, and, and they're working and they're paying taxes. They might say, you know what? I don't want to pay Uncle Sam uh, taxes. And that might get back to people who may not want to do that, right? So I say give them a green card, let them well, work if, legally. Well, if it's, if it's a green card, then they're a W 2 employee, then the taxes come out of their paycheck. Yeah, exactly. You don't have they, a choice. They're paying taxes, right? And they have no choices, right? They, but now the way that way the system's working is they're working as unlicensed workers right. uh, for probably various trade and contractors. Well, they're not, they're not right? doing they're anything. Not they're not doing anything. They're just sitting in front of these state places. That's well, you know, we I walk my, my son uh, Wes to school every morning uh, to get him in there late after the breakfast, and there's a labor market. There's a legal label market right there on Coney Island Avenue and Ditmas where people, you know, people are there. They're undocumented. It's pretty obvious. And they're, they're waiting for people, contractors to drive by and pick them up to work that day. Okay. And I, I see contractors stopping their vans, people jumping in the van and driving off. And the, the guys that are getting paid the wage, who are paying the taxes, are probably paying these guys or paying some cash. cash to do the, for them. Right? It's like the guys you pick up at the Home Depot. They're paying cash. Yeah, exactly. There's a labor market, a legal labor market, right there on Ditmas and uh, Coney Island Avenue. And I walk by it every day. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't see the guys at the Home Depot anymore, but they used to. Hey, what, oh, they're uh, still there. They're still there? Oh, yeah. Uh, dozens and dozens. Maybe more than ever. Oh, I, I'm always early Saturday morning. I never see anybody. At yeah, the one on, you go by the one on Kimball, like, that, weekdays right. especially. Okay. Somebody that wants a job, that demands a job in the United States, is going to find a job, legally or illegally. So be- barring them, banning them from doing so, in my opinion, is ridiculous. Oh, sure it is. Hey, uh, we got a few minutes. How do you, how do you think... All this wealth is changing hands. I mean, Mike's been on, and, and uh, Luke comes on, and we talk about, you know, Iran doing this, these guys doing that, and these guys are borrowing, buying this, and these guys and those guys, and, and Korea's now getting involved, and China and everybody. How, how is this money or this all this commerce taking place, Alan? And do, do we know about it? And then are just silent. I mean, how, if it's going through the SWIFT system, I guess we have to know about it, right? The Treasury the, or the... Uh, Federal Reserve, if it, if it's if it's just barter, I mean, is it is it oil coming from Iran? I mean, on the one hand, you know, people will say foolishly but, that oil is fungible. On the other hand, well, if you look at there's a chemist. Look at natural. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I'm saying, yeah, but oil is a, oil. There's guys that can put a hypodermic in an oil, an, oil, an oil tanker and tell you exactly where it came from. So the idea yeah. that that oil is oil is BS, right? So yeah. I guess how is it look happening, and how is it people will know about it, or they don't care, or they're letting it go, or the right people are involved, or was that enough questions for you? Well, if you look at natural gas in Iran, uh, we were told that during the Trump administration that you know they weren't able to sell it. But if you look at natural gas sales um, exports in two thousand from two thousand sixteen to two thousand twenty one, it's on an upward trajectory. But if you look at oil exports, crude oil exports, it you, you saw it at an elevated level during the Obama 
years. And it was at a lower level than the Trump years. And that it, it, it's back up a little bit during the Biden years. It's not quite back where it was under the Obama years, but it, it looks like it's doubled from the Trump years. So Iran does have money coming in. And according to CNN World, CNN.com, um, the, the, what, what um, Iran is doing, according to this article, it's training Hamas how to make homemade weapons with pipes, right? So it, it might be bringing in gunpowder and whatnot, right? It, it smuggles that in. They got this incredible tunnel system under Hamas. And they also got, I think in the last couple of years, their, tr their trade was freed up a little bit. So they're able to bring in some stuff via the sea too. So it looks like uh, Iran is financing a lot of it and Hamas is building this stuff in their underground tunnel system. I don't know. I don't know if you've seen the underground tunnels, but they're pretty massive. I've heard they're, about their miles and miles. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, just going everywhere, and they, they probably have the hostages down there. I would think. And if I was Israel and I wanted to get out of Hamas, I'd probably somehow try to cut off the oxygen that's being uh, circulated through those tunnels um, to pull them out. That's what I would probably look, look at doing. Yeah, I don't know, boy. I don't know anything about the topography and the whole mess. It's just. Uh, yeah, you just it's like underground Seattle. I, I went on an underground Seattle tour in the 1990s when I was in the Navy, and it's amazing. I, if you ever if you've never been underneath there, it's an amazing tour. Um, but I guess the tunnels underneath the uh, Gaza Strip is just incredible. Well, Toronto's got got quite a system too. They don't want to be out yeah. in the wintertime. But the uh, Iran, I wonder if some of their oil uh, during the Trump administration, the price of oil was so low. I wonder if that's what caused their you know the, the export to drop. I mean, the, that oil situation is such a huge market. You can't. It's hard to pin yeah. it on a on a president one way or the other. I mean, there's actually yeah. there's actually more more uh, pumps going now under this guy than under Trump. I mean, clearly Trump was yeah. more was more uh, favorable toward the industry than this guy than Biden. Uh, but yet, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe demands a lot higher than. Uh, uh, supply relative to what it was. Well, well, it's down, well it's down to twenty-eight bucks a barrel when when Trump was yeah. there. Everybody, everybody shut off all their rigs. I mean, yeah. nobody, nobody's pumping you. Everything, everything you pump, you lose money at. You're not going to do that. But I mean, well, you know, that's that's probably one way to win the war on terror, though. I mean, if you really want to win this war on terror, and you believe, and you believe Iran is the greatest state sponsor of terror, you you can drive uh, oil down by pumping it out of the ground. Pushing the, the crude oil price, you know, down to thirty thirty dollars a barrel, and now places like Iran have no money to finance this war. But it looks like they were uh, they were making some money on some natural gas during the Trump years. Now, right? who are they sending that to? Russia or not Russia? Well, I think they were sending it to like Syria, Malaysia, those kind of countries. Yeah. Okay. It's in this report I, I downloaded. Um, the EIA. They did a report on Iranian exports. Well, it seems like every single country over there is an absolute mess. I mean, economically, Syria, Lebanon. The only place that's, I think sort of hanging in there, the guy, the guy who runs Jordan, must be doing a relatively pretty good job. I mean, how many, how many refugees does that guy have? Like a couple of million yeah. or something? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, you know, Egypt is being pressured to open up its border to the Palestinian people, and apparently Hamas is trying to keep them in the Gaza Strip. I think as protection from. Uh, Israeli attacks. Um, I think Lebanon has closed its borders to pa Palestinian refugees. Now, when you so say, I just go for those the when, people that the oh, yeah. average day you know, people. Well, when you say Hamas, with everything I've read, the guys are they're the, the big shots in Hamas. They're not there. 
where, where they're, they, they're in Cutter, right? Yeah, they're in Cutter or someplace. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, this is it's such a mess. I don't even know why. I'm just glad I'm not blinking. What, what was that? What was that line in the movie with uh, Jim Caviezel and uh, the Count of Monte Cristo? Pawns, people are kings or pawns or something. Yeah, well, <laughs> people are kings or pawns, right? And the kings are in gutter, and and the pawns, their their lives are being wrecked in the Gaza Strip. Yeah, I mean, I can't. I mean, the twenty percent, twenty five percent, Labaca Valley's got to be awful too. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, you got the you got the people who are raped and oh yeah, uh, killed and be, the babies that were beheaded in Israel. So the common people are the ones that are uh, taking the brunt of this. Oh yeah, it's 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 crazy. Hey, Hal, thank you very much, buddy. Uh, so. Uh, what, what what classes are you currently teaching? What what is the semester? What are your what's your Well, in November I start teaching an analytics course for Mercy College in the evening on Thursdays. That's winter term. That'll be a lot of fun. But right now I'm doing a macro at Mercy College and I'm doing two micro at Anti State University and two stats at Anti State University. When you say uh analytical anal- analytical what? what? What does that consist of? Well, uh uh just linear optimization, uh spreadsheet modeling, uh the use of probabilities and calculating these uh, utility models that incorporate uncertainty. It's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of basically, basically it's advanced spreadsheet modeling. You know, I, I, what I could tell you is it's really easy to forget all that stuff. Because I did. <laughs> it's because I have. It's really fun I, to relearn I, it every semester. I, I, I have. God. <laughs> anyway, y'all take care of yourself. Uh, be nice to the students. We might show up in the back of class one of these days. Maybe okay, we'll you guys are welcome to come. Do you, oh, do you actually have, is there anybody who actually has a class? Yeah, I, I actually teach a class in person on 34th Street, right across from the Harry, uh, the the uh, the the you know the book by J.K. Rowling. I don't like it too much. What's his name, Harry? Uh, well, I don't know. Yes, the, you know the the wizard book. Oh, okay. Wizard book. My, my, oh, Harry, my Harry Potter. Love it. Harry Potter. Yeah, right across the street from the Harry Potter exhibit. Right, that's where I'm teaching on 34th Street. Well, there also was a miracle there once, right? The movie, miracle. On yeah, 35th. I think so. Yeah, yeah. that's a big. But hey, the Empire State, Empire State Building is just down a block. Well, that's I, one of these days. I got to go up that thing. SP Futures down twenty five. Nasdaq Futures on one twenty six. We're giving back like more than a little bit of yesterday. Right now, back tomorrow. Stocks and jacks. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. That's all, folks.